Hi, my name is Olga Johansson. I'm Russian. Half of my life I lived in Russia and another half in the Nordics, first in Iceland and now in Denmark. I'm raising three Icelandic Russian children in Copenhagen, probably as Danes. Now I call myself a documentarist, a human rights activist, and right now, a journalist. And I'm Andreas Floystrup, born and raised here in Denmark. I'm a journalist and have worked for the public service station DR. Right now I work at Lead Agency in Copenhagen, where I, among other things, produce the Nordic Talks podcast. I followed the war in Ukraine closely, and what I've been thinking a lot about is um, how it has affected the relations between ordinary people from Russia and Ukraine, and how we in the Nordics can help further dialogue and hopefully also peace. Where are we now, a year from the beginning of war? Can we create dialogue between people to people while fighting for Ukraine and European democracy? What role do Nordic values and society play in facilitating the process of creating peace in Europe? In this special episode of Nordic Talks podcast, we invite Oksana Didik from Ukraine and Irina Nelson from Russia to hear their voices. Welcome. Oksana, can you take us back a year ago to the 24th of February 2022? How do you remember that day? Well, it's a difficult question to answer because, well, I really have to somehow recall one of the most terrible episodes in my life. I wish I had learned this news from, I don't know, television, social media or something like that. Because I was peaceful sleeping. It was like 5 p.m. and I just woke up because of the sounds of explosions. And um, it was terrible because my son, my little son, who was one year old at the time, he was sleeping uh, the next room to me. And I was like, I didn't know whether I should kind of wake him up, run somewhere or, or hide or do anything. The first thing was to, oh, no. It, it it shouldn't be the reality. It shouldn't be the war. It should be something else. But the explosions, I, I, I could hear the sound. It was terrible. I could hear, I, I could see the horizon and it was so terrible. One of the worst memories in my life. I don't think I will ever forget it, really. When did you decide to leave the country and why? I left my home on the 25th of February because there were Russian troops and Russian tanks attacking the city. So they were there. And uh, I had only 30 minutes to leave my home. So we just traveled to my friend's house, which was in the other part of the city. We stayed there, um, but we were running out of food. So we were starving for about two days before we left Kharkiv. And, uh, uh, you know, I was so much maybe... I don't know, 
depressed at that time because I, I, I just couldn't understand what was happening around me. And we were not thinking about leaving the country maybe seriously at that time, but I did have my friends who were calling me from different parts of the world and telling just try to get out. But it was not that easy because Kharkiv was, it was not occupied, but it was surrounded by Russian troops for th- from the three different dim- dimensions. And um, like two days before we left Kharkiv, one of my friends did it. And he just called me and said, you can use this road, you can try to escape. So we um, decided to leave the country. We uh, thought that maybe uh, that could be a good re- um, a good decision to go to Czech because I had some friends there. And um, we spent about eight days on the road because we were trying to pick the roads which were not that dangerous and uh, like... I had a strange thought in my mind that the best way was uh, to go to Chernitsi, which is the western city. And we just, we were just trying to stay alive in the road for eight days with a small child in the car. How did you end up in Denmark? Denmark was the only country that I thought might be a good um variant for us. I called the migration office and they answered all of the freaking questions I had in my mind. All of them. And they would just, there was a lady with a very calm voice and she would say, just come. And that was the reason why we decided to come to Denmark. I can see it's it's difficult for you to to talk about reminding you of all this. Um, but what about, you said you talked about your two-year-old son and you. Do you have any other family that you left behind or yeah this is another terrible and very hard topic for me to talk about because i left my father behind my father was on the occupied territory his uh, city uh, in kharkiv region is like 25 kilometers far from the russian border and russian troops came there like on the very very early morning on the 24th of february so he spent uh, about eight months on the occupied territory and then he was wounded and then we um, somehow managed to take him out of there and bring him to Kharkiv and now unfortunately he's not a very good uh, he doesn't have a very good physical state so I can not physically uh, move him from there and of course I do have my grandmoms there so One of them also um, remembers the Second World War. And now this is something else, something she thought would never happen again. Are you still in contact in any way with them? Yeah. Yeah, fortunately, after the time they left the occupied territory and they moved to Kharkiv, they are staying in my place. Uh, It is not safe at all because of missile attacks and all of this terrible news we are hearing from there but still we are in contact we call each other every day so at least I know where they are because when my father was on the occupied territory I didn't have any news from him for about like six months that's a difficult talk Um, and um, all of us are in Denmark right now and um, we have Irina here who is uh, Russian she is from Moscow she has been living in Denmark for how long Uh, eight years. Eight years. You were in Denmark uh, when you learned about the war. 
How did you learn that the war started? And what did you feel when you saw that the Russian troops had crossed the border to Ukraine? Well, the week the war started, my mom was visiting me in Denmark and we were on holidays. On February 24, my husband, who's Danish, woke me up and said, I have horrible news. Russian tanks are on their way to Kiev. I was like, what? I was totally speechless. The whole thing seemed unreal. Later that day, we planned to go sightseeing with a Danish guide. And I remember thinking, I will be translating for my mom and the guide will ask where we are from. And I thought, should I lie? I felt so uncomfortable having to admit we were Russians. I was ashamed and devastated, as if it was somehow mine and my mom's fault that we let this happen. And I have lived with this feeling ever since. Do you in any way feel guilty yourself for Russia invading Ukraine? Well, yes and no. In the first days after the war, I definitely felt guilty myself. Uh, like, I should have done something, but what should I have done? I mean, what could be done? I think we should divide uh, guilt and um, responsibility because personally I'm not guilty, but as every Russian, I am responsible for what's happening because that's the Russian citizens who elected Putin, who let this happen, who let him reign in Russia. So um, it 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 um, I don't know if if um, it was ever possible to not let him reign in Russia, but maybe we could have done more. What do you think the Russian people could have done? Putin made it clear that, like from the beginning, that uh, you're safe unless uh, you are not a threat to to uh, the power of Putin. Uh, he let people have their life, have a work, have uh, uh, the ability to travel, to uh, do anything they wanted. Just they didn't protest and say some bad things about the regime. And people accepted it because it, it was the way of life. It was the way of survival. It's how they are raised. It's how they used to live. And uh, it was okay because... Uh, for a long time, there was a lot of freedom, uh, but then there came one restriction, then there came another restriction, and so more and more, and suddenly we found ourselves uh, ourselves in a state where nothing is possible, nothing is allowed, and and by that time it was too late to do anything. Now it's too late to do anything about it. Um, maybe we woke up too late. Uh, I don't know, maybe we could have done something more uh, earlier. Uh, but at this point, you know, the people who are against the regime and have been for a long time, they are protesting and they are paying the price of it, uh, literally by paying high fines to the police and to the regime uh, or being put to prison for just going out and saying, I want peace or no war or something like that. Uh, unless they flee the country. Um, so people actually are courageous and they are protesting, uh, but they are also afraid and for good reasons. A year ago to the day, the war started on 24th of February 2022. 
a lot uh, of time has passed. Um, Aksana, what are your thoughts about the war today? Um, you know, there is much of resilience. There is much of uh, hope within Ukrainian souls. But uh, in general, it's getting harder and harder to be positive, to believe, to um, somehow stay an adequate person. But we do have a lot of uh, reasons to do it. We know that we are, we have some people who are defended, defending us uh, actively. From the personal point of view, you know, um, it's impossible to digest it still. It's impossible to forget all of these uh, pictures, the last pictures of Ukraine. It's impossible for me to forget the moment I crossed the border of uh, Ukraine and Romania. And it was, I just was looking at the Ukrainian flags from other side, from one side and Romanian from the others. And I was just, I didn't know whether I should cry or no, whether I should be happy or no. Even now, I don't know whether I should be happy of staying outside of Ukraine or no, because still like partially, uh, not physically, but mentally, I'm still there and nothing has changed. What would you say, um, talking about all this, what is your biggest loss inflicted by the war, would you say? Uh, I would say myself, because uh, I lost myself, first of all, because understanding that, uh, like, yesterday, I was uh, the partner of Kharkiv and Ukrainian Chamber of Commerce. I was a successful businesswoman with the private driver, and then realizing that I'm a refugee, And trying to keep this refugeeism mindset in my mind, it was really difficult. It, it is not about material things at all. It is about how you feel. Because the last night I spent in Ukraine was in the kindergarten as a refugee from the eastern part of Ukraine. Uh, we came to the very, very western village. And the only place we could stay was the kindergarten. I was sleeping on the uh, small kids sofa there and you know everybody was trying to calm me down to support me all of these people all of this this lady who would work at the kindergarten they would say okay everything will be fine you will get your life back and I was thinking no I am a refugee I'm trying to get rid of the tag refugee I'm trying to be expat or something like that because uh, refugee has so much mm, negative load for me. Why is it difficult for you to be called refugee in Denmark? For me, refugee is somebody who's uh, always looking back. And for me, for my son, maybe it's the time to start looking forward, although it's very difficult. Irina, a year has passed. What is your biggest loss inflicted by the war? Well, actually, I would say the same as Oksana. It's the loss of identity. And uh, it's also the inability to go to Russia to visit my friends and family. I know that uh, it is a huge part of my son's identity that he is Russian, uh, half Russian. But um, he is born in Russia and it means a lot to him. And uh, he has always been... Well, maybe not proud of being Russian. It maybe it's maybe the wrong word, but 
He has always wanted to share his love for Russia with his Danish friends and his Danish family. And now he sometimes meets the, the reaction like, uh, well, Russia is mean, we are on Ukraine's side. And it's so difficult to explain that you can be a Russian and love Russia and still be on Ukraine's side. It is difficult for an adult and it's even more difficult for an, for an eight-year-old. And uh, I know that it's one of the biggest, if not the biggest, losses of his life. And it hurts me a lot that uh, he also lost half of his identity to this war. Oksana, um, taking all that's happened the last year into mind, has your view on Russia, but also Russian people, has that changed in any way? Well, I used to think that nationality for me was not the thing that would make me think of a person in the some specific way. Uh, but it's difficult not to hate, really. It's difficult when I see and hear bad news. It's difficult to not to judge. And like uh, many of us, many of Ukrainian people, they are accused of being too, you know, judging Russians or like thinking about good Russians in the bad way. Um, well, it's a difficult thing to talk about because we have people who have lost everything. One of my friends, she lost her uh, beloved husband two weeks ago. He was a fighter and she was working for an international company. She used to have many Russian colleagues and she I just cannot imagine herself in this situation. You know, it's difficult not to judge. Prejudice is everywhere. And um, I cannot say that we have a right for it. Uh, well, it's difficult to say that we don't. And, um, you know, living without prejudice is one of the biggest challenges. When you try to uh, put these, you know, national things aside, what I'm thinking about Every time I start getting angry or thinking like, why don't they go to the streets? Why don't they riot? Why don't they do that or those? I think like, okay, I don't like when somebody says that I should be killed because I'm Ukrainian. That's why I will not ever think that I should think about somebody in a bad way because he or she is a Russian. There's always a choice for them. There's always a choice for us, for all of us to stay normal people. That's why, you know, it's always difficult, but, well, it's possible. How difficult is it? <sighs> I mean, you're sitting in a studio next to one Russian and another Russian, um, Irina and Olga. Is is that affecting you in any way? Because they are Russian people? You know, I'm thinking about future every time. I'm trying to think about tomorrow, not yesterday. Um When the war ends, and it should be ended with the Ukrainian victory, we will have to have a kind of dialogue. I'm not sure that there is any kind of person in Russian government, in collective Putin-Russian state, that should be within this dialogue. But people from Ukraine and people from Russia, they will have to sit against each other in the negotiation table one day. I believe in it. I believe in it. That's why at least my duty right now is to show that we are not those nazis we are shown on the Russian TV. They are not that crazy freaking bloody terrorists who have 
taking the holy Russian lands. We are Ukrainians. We are normal civilized people, as normal civilized people from any other country. That's why I'm 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 trying to be a normal person. So you know, um, and getting out of this circle of prejudice, it's hard, but it's possible. But have you, Irina, have you ever experienced any hate because you're Russian living in Denmark? No, I have not. Uh, I was afraid of it. I I was afraid it could happen. I've heard of it. Uh, happened to some other Russians I know, but it have never happened to me. Uh, both my Danish family and my Danish friends and uh, and acquaintances, they have expressed worries about mine and my family's well-being, and uh, they were really good in asking how I was doing and if they could help or anything, and they were really understanding uh, that that I'm going through a hard time. Um, that it's of course it's first and foremost uh, a tragedy a tragedy for Ukraine but it is actually also a tragedy for Russia uh, so I I just want to say thank you for their understanding can you understand that maybe some Ukrainians have hate against Russia or towards Russian people Yeah, of course I can. Uh, nobody can blame them. When people are sitting in in their homes that are being shelled and they are afraid for their lives, of of course they they have hatred, uh, and and they are not in the position to be thinking, well, there are good Russians and bad Russians and and so on and so on. It, this is this is not the time and this is not the place. Uh, of course, they they fight for their lives and this is what matters. Uh, who who is bad and who is good? We can talk about it when the war is over. And and uh, I hope that the dialogue will be possible. That that we can find each other in in uh, some time. Uh, but but for now, well, I I mean that the Ukrainians have have a right to to hate every Russian they want. Uh, of course, it hurts me to say it, and of course, it hurts me to read such comments and to hear uh, such words. But again, they well, they they have the right to do it. What do you think can be done to? Um further dialogue and not hate between Russians and Ukrainians? Yeah, you know, in the beginning of the war, I was really worried about how I could ever talk to a Ukrainian again. And, you know, my son is attending uh, Russian classes on Sundays here in Copenhagen, and some uh, Ukrainians were attending too. And after the war started, I was thinking, uh, will these Ukrainians ever come? to the Russian classes after the war. Uh, will they want to speak Russian after this? Will they want to let their children learn Russian after this? And um, when I came to the first uh, summer uh, su- Sunday classes after the war, um, it was really a tough experience. We were so few. And, you know, this... Uh, this um, School is usually a crowded and loud place where the parents chat and laugh while the children are studying. But that day it was really quiet and we were so few and and the people were like 
white like the school walls. And we were just looking at each other and, and asking each other, what are we going to do? Like, oh my God, are we going to be like this, a group of a few people separated from the rest of, of the world like this forever? Um, and then we saw one of the Ukrainians' mom, uh, moms, she came in with her daughter. And when I saw her, I just immediately began to cry. I just couldn't stop myself. And I rose to give her a hug. And then I stopped myself halfway because I thought, does she want my hug? I mean, is it appropriate? And I was standing in this awkward position, like half hugging, half stopping myself. And she reached out to me and hugged me back. And I, I cried and she cried and uh, we just stand, stood there and, and cried for so long. And I was saying, I'm so, so sorry. And she was saying, like, you have nothing to say sorry about because you have nothing to do with it. And after that, I could actually write to my Ukrainian acquaintances and ask them how they were, how their relatives were, and uh, if I could do anything to help and so on. And uh, not once have I... I received like an aggressive comment or anything. Um, so I think this is the way to further dialogue. Just being human, just just uh, uh, accepting each other as human beings and not as holders of some passports of this country or another country. You're nodding, Oksana, to the story? Yeah, of course, because, well, you know, it is not maybe the right time to expect this kind of position from every Ukrainian. Like maybe two weeks, uh, two months ago, when I was like thinking that my father was about to be gone, uh, I was thinking everything except the right thoughts, you know. But right now... What thoughts were there? Well, I would just hate the whole world, you know, not only... uh, everything which starts with uh, Russian in like its name. But that's why, of course, I was nodding because it is not the right time, as I've told, for everybody to start forgiving. I I cannot make many people and I understand why they're not. But maybe not now, a bit later when the bombing will, uh, when the bombing ends and attacks and Uh, there will be the right time for us to talk, to speak, to listen to each other. As you know, the headline of the Nordic Talks podcast is Act to Inspire, Inspire to Act. What would you say to the listeners? What can they do themselves to further peace in Ukraine? We'll start with Irina and then we ask Oksana about that. I would say... Judge less and help more. Help is still needed. As I already said, it it doesn't mean that you have to give everything you have to, to the refugees or, uh, I don't know, use all your free time by helping the Red Cross or, or something like that. But just try to be more attentive to the people around you. And if I believe that if every one of us just helps one person, just listen to one other human being. This is the way to further dialogue. Oksana. Uh, Well, as it was very difficult to start, it is always very difficult to summarize something. On the personal level, um, 
what I'm asking for is not to consider war as a new normal, first of all, because it's not. Let's spread hope. Let's spread right information. Let's support. Let's understand. And on the governmental level, let's ban each and everybody who's involved. Thank you so much for uh, stopping by and participating in this podcast, both uh, Oksana and uh, Irina, and uh, spreading your voices and uh, views on on this matter. Thank you for having us. Yes, the great Thank you. I uh, agree with you, Andreas, and I just want to say. Thank you both for being brave, strong, and speaking up your mind here with us. This has been a difficult but honest talk, and I think this is the most important for understanding trust and peace. This has been the first episode of a special edition of Nordic Talks podcast about peace, trust, and people in relation to the Russian-Ukrainian war. Listen to the other on nordictalks.com. I'm Olga Johansson. And I'm Andreas Floystrup. Thank you for listening.